Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. We are on our message, Kingdom Culture. We are on season five, and we're going to continue that today. Get your Bibles out. We love the Bible here at the Rhodes Church because we believe the Bible is the foundation for everything we believe. So if you've got your Bibles, come on, E-Roads family, Mount Carmel, North City, let's open them up to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13 sermon notes are available there in your worship guide or on the U-Version Bible app. The U-Version Bible app sermon notes are going to have a little extra goodness in them. Uh, So I had to have the papers turned in by Friday and I had a little bit extra that came to me after that. So uh, if you've got the U-Version notes, you have a little bit more. But I want to read, before we get to that, I want to read a quick testimony about what happened a couple Sundays ago. Uh, We had, after this service, after the second service, we had a powerful time at the altar, and uh, we just ended up worshiping and sticking around, and people just kept, they just like the presence of God was so impactful, people didn't want to leave. And I had to leave to go do a funeral, and I just left them and said, it's, you guys are on your own. And uh, they stayed till like 1 o'clock that day, and uh, I got a testimony from a couple that encountered God at the altar, and I, I just want to read that to you. This, uh, this is our friends right here, uh, Ryan and Sheena Hilliard. said, like many others right now, Ryan and I have been feeling the stress and anxieties of the current events, and we've been really moved by your Kingdom Culture series. Two Sundays ago, Mona got a word that the Holy Spirit was going to touch every single person during the service, and he did not disappoint. The, the worship service and the message were intense, and his presence was overwhelming. At the end, you ask everyone to put their hands out and to invite the Holy Spirit into their lives. I immediately felt the biggest wave of peace come over my entire body from my head to my toes. You then ask for everyone who felt something during the prayer to come to the carpet. Before you could even get the words out, I felt like I was running to the front. And even better, my husband was right beside me. We went to the carpet and haven't been the same since. Pastor Chad prayed over us, and while he was praying, I first got a vision of myself on fire, completely engulfed in flames. The next vision was Ryan alone and on fire the same way as I. The next was an image of the two of us together completely on fire. We continued worshiping, and Pastor Chris also prayed for us, and I again got a vision. And I was looking over a huge cemetery and bones began to shoot up out of the ground and started forming bodies, which then turned into soldiers, and they were in perfect rows marching in unison as far as I could see. I acknowledged the dry bones coming to life, and God told me, these aren't just everyone else's, these are yours as well. We are at war, and we have a battle to fight. Besides knowing we didn't want, to want that moment on the carpet to end. Ryan and I still didn't know exactly what had happened to us at the altar. It wasn't until later that night while doing some research on my visions did I realize we had been baptized in the Holy Spirit and we are excited and so thankful for his encounter. Give God praise for that. Come on. They're on fire. Yes, yes, yes. 
All right, so Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you are causing us all to be on fire for you. Come, Lord, speak to us that the life of your word will burn in our hearts like a fire shut up in our bones. We love you, Jesus. Amen. All right, kingdom culture. Kingdom culture, it's a set of attitudes, values, and goals and practices of the kingdom of heaven. During this series, we've been talking about adapting the culture, the current culture, to match the culture of the kingdom of heaven. Not asking uh, to adapt the kingdom of heaven to match the current culture. We're trying to reverse engineer it too many times and trying to take the kingdom of heaven and trying to get it to kind of match and work in the culture of our current lifestyle. And the, uh, I believe the assignment of the world is, of the word is for us to take the kingdom of heaven culture and infiltrate it into the current culture until this culture becomes like heaven. So, uh, so we've got to do that. We've got to do that process, and uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Some pe- sometimes we're, people are more afraid of offending people than they are offending God. And in this time, in this hour, I feel a sense of urgency in my heart and what God has asked me to do. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, it's not always popular, but I just feel like this is what God's asking me to do. And so I, I get, uh, I've got to say it the way he's telling me, and just pray for me that I hear clearly from heaven. So today I want to talk about this. I want to talk about the spiritual source of a physical manifestation. All right? A spiritual source of a physical manifestation. Have you found Revelation 13? Let's read this. We've got to be quick. It says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea. This is Paul writing on the island of Patmos off the coast of Turkey in the Mediterranean Sea. So yeah, he said, I'm standing there on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. Now, he saw this vision was an actual beast, had seven heads, ten horns, and on his horns, ten crowns, and on his heads, a blasphemous name. Now, he saw a beast, but we talked about what this beast actually represents. It, uh, beast in Daniel 7 is not an animal, it's kingdoms or governments or leaders. So he saw an empire, he saw a kingdom, if you will, come up out of the sea, out of the Mediterranean Sea. And this, this uh, beast, this kingdom had seven heads. We said that's the seven kingdoms that have occupied or oppressed Israel throughout history. And so we, we mentioned all that. I don't get a lot of detail of that. There's seven of them right here, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Media, Persian, Greek, Roman, Ottoman Empire. And then we had ten heads, or sorry, ten horns and ten crowns. What are the ten horns? That, is the, that are the leaders of those empires. One of them has four. That's the Greek empire because Alexander the Great was defeated or died off rather, and he rose up in four different kings. They split up his kingdom into four different parts. So we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten horns, and then the eighth empire will be the Antichrist kingdom. We'll get into that. So that's, that's a little bit about verse one. Go to verse two. I don't want to talk a lot about that. And now, now the beast or the kingdom which I saw, so the Antichrist kingdom, he's telling us what the Antichrist kingdom is going to be like. That's what I like about the Bible. He said, it's like a leopard. So what I saw, it's like a leopard. What's the leopard? He's writing this in the Roman Empire. The leopard is the Greek Empire. So the Antichrist kingdom is going to be like the leopard. So it's going to be like the Greek. Here's the, the Greek Empire. Bring that up on the map there. If you can see that at home, it should be on the screen. This is the Greek Empire. Notice the region. What I want you to think about, don't think leopard like a four-legged animal with spots. 
think kingdom. Think an area, think of an empire. All right? We say, well, it's like a leopard and you start seeing an animal. No, no, no. I want you to see the Grecian empire when you hear like a leopard. Because that's what the Bible's doing. It's telling us where and what. There's some layers we could go into in the Grecian empire, the Antichrist kingdom. The Grecian empire represents the sin of polytheism. So part of the Antichrist kingdom is going to be motivated by open religion. Everybody's okay. It's going to be like that. Anyway, we don't want to get into all that. Sorry. Sometimes I bring too much information. People's eyes start glassing over. His feet were like the feet of a bear. Feet of a bear. This is the next one. This is the Medo-Persian Empire. So you see, that's the region of the Medo-Persian Empire. The emphasis of the Medo-Persian Empire was a a political structure that was so good that the Roman empires began to model their empire after some of the Medo-Persian Empire. So the Antichrist kingdom is going to have a political structure that's going to drive it. But notice where it's going to be again. It's like that. So then the next one, says it's going to be the mouth like the mouth of a lion. The next one is the Babylonian. That represents the lion. And here's the, the Babylonian area and of the country where their empire was. And the Babylonian empire, the sin of the uh, Babylonian empire, the emphasis of the Babylonian empire. Remember the Tower of Babel? It was an emphasis of self or the creation over the creator. So part of the Antichrist kingdom, part of the emphasis of the Antichrist kingdom will be an exaltation of self over God. Self will be God. I know it sounds crazy, but that's what's going to happen. <laughs> sounds like that would never happen. So now, this will be, here's what I want you to emphasize, uh, emphasize today. Spiritual source, spiritual source over physical manifestation. This Antichrist kingdom that he's talking about in Revelation chapter 13 that will arise out of the earth will be a human being along with many other human beings cooperating with the agenda of the kingdom of darkness, going against the kingdom of God to destroy the people of God. I want you to realize that. I want you to grasp it. That the Antichrist kingdom is not just beasts and theories and allegorical suggestions. It will be a human being and other human beings that are cooperating with the kingdom of darkness against the agenda of the kingdom of God to destroy the people of God. You say, wait a minute, Chad, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but it does not mean we will not deal with flesh and blood that is cooperating with the agenda of the kingdom of darkness. It's going to be like that, all right? It doesn't mean you're dealing with flesh and blood, but so again, the world, the world has convinced the church, I believe this, that Christian love is about never saying anything against anyone about anything and just being nice to people. They, they've tried to push that on the church that... Christian love is don't say anything against anyone about anything and just be nice. Should we be nice? Yes. Should we be kind? Yes. But Christian love is not about keeping silent and not calling anything out. If I'm going to use an example on who to model myself after, I think it ought to be Jesus. So how did Jesus handle people? Let's look at the Bible. Instead of coming up with our own theories out of our heads, well, I think Jesus would be like this. Why don't we look at how he really was? John chapter 8, verse 44, he was talking to some people, and here's loving, kind Jesus. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. What is he doing? He's pointing out a spiritual source with a physical manifestation. 
and he wasn't afraid to do it. Was he being hateful? Was he being mean to those people? No, Jesus is full of love. But he's saying, I'm calling out the source. You are of your father, the devil. He wasn't even scared to do it to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. He didn't say, now, Peter, I'm getting ready to say something. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but this is... He didn't, he didn't do that. Let me go to another one. Uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse 27. He says, woe to you. Imagine this was a Facebook post of Jesus. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. That's not very nice. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Ouch. Woe to, he's not done. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt, serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? This is loving Jesus talking to human beings. Serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Give you another one. Matthew chapter 12, verse 39. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. I'm not going to give it to him. Verse 43 jumps ahead. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, notice this, notice the two parts in this situation, an unclean spirit, a demonic spirit, and a human being. It could be man or woman. Unclean spirit goes out of a man. He goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he, the, the unclean spirit, the demonic spirit, says, I will return to my house. What is his house? His house is the man. I'm going to return to my house from which I came. And when he, the unclean spirit, comes, he finds it, the man or the woman, it could be, empty, swept, and put in order. Then he, the unclean spirit, goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there in the man. Seven more wicked spirits than himself come and dwell in a human being. Jesus is telling us. And they enter and dwell there in that human being, and the last state of that man is worse than the first, so shall it also be with this wicked generation. That's a lot to think about, right? Here's what I want to encourage the body of Christ with, because I'm concerned what's happening in the body of Christ, and I feel an importance to speak to it. Identifying wickedness is not a lack of love for the people who are operating in wickedness. Identifying wickedness is not a lack of love towards people who are operating in wickedness. Jesus did it all the time. He pointed out wickedness and still loved them. So what God is calling us to do is make sure we distinguish between the spiritual source, 
Satan and the kingdom of darkness and the manifestation of the physical, which are human beings, which can be redeemed. We pray for them. We love them. We're kind to them. But we're still calling out wickedness and inviting them into a relationship with Jesus. It's still loving to when you say this is wickedness. We've got to be okay with that according to Scripture. We can love people and still identify wickedness. So now, what is the driving force behind the Antichrist? In chapter 13, this beast with seven heads, ten horns. Go to Revelation chapter 12. Again, spiritual source, physical manifestation. The Antichrist will be an actual human being. Actual human being. Working with a bunch of other human beings. Okay? Just trying to prepare you. So what's the source of the Antichrist? Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and her head, on her head rather, a garland of 12 stars. Sometimes when we read Revelation, it can sound weird. and You're like, ah, oh, I don't get it. I don't understand. But listen, here's what it's talking about. The woman in this, and you'll see it as we read along, but I'm going to give you a heads up so you can grasp what we're talking about. The woman represents the Jews or Israel. The 12 garlands of stars represents the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? So the 12 tribes of Israel... Is what the 12 stars represent. Then being with child, verse 2, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon. What's the red dragon? Satan himself. We'll see that more later on in scripture, but just giving you a heads up. And a fiery red dragon, Satan himself having what? Having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems or crowns on his head. Does that sound familiar? So Satan himself has seven heads, ten horns, and, se- and seven crowns on here. So now you're seeing the difference in how the Antichrist kingdom himself is going to be, the source of his power is going to be from Satan himself. He's the red dragon. And so look, go, to, go ahead to the next verse 4. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven. Talking about when Lucifer was one of the archangels with Michael and Gabriel, and uh, Lucifer got deceived thinking it was about him. So he deceived one-third of the angels and brought them over to his side. And that's what it's talking about with his tail, drew the third of the stars of heaven. And threw them to the earth. They got kicked out of heaven. And the dragon, Satan, stood before the woman. Who's the woman? The Jews, Israel who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Anybody figured out who her child is yet? Jesus. So Jesus was a Jew. So Israel gets pregnant with the child, capital C, and she's getting ready to give birth to this, and it says the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour the child. Anybody remember what happened when Jesus was born? You remember a guy by the name of Herod? The wise men came and talked to him, right? And uh, said, hey, uh, the Messiah is going to be born here in Bethlehem. And Herod said, oh, great. Well, tell me where it is so I can come and worship him, right? And so then they didn't come back and tell him. So Herod ordered that every child two years old and under be killed, trying to kill Jesus. That's what the Bible is telling us. The dragon... Was there trying to devour the child? Was it the dragon or was it Herod? Yes. 
See, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. The dragon was wanting to devour the child. No, 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 Herod was wanting to devour. Yes. But imagine if you were a prophet in the days of King Herod. And Herod puts out this bulletin, said every child two years old and under, we're going to kill it. And if you as a prophet would have stood up and said, wait a minute, that is not of God, that is an agenda of Satan. Some people would have said, oh, okay, I see what you're doing. I guess you voted for the other guy. Some people are going to try to tell you your views are political. Don't be intimidated and back up when you're calling out wickedness that are spiritual in source. Don't let someone try and tell you it's only political. What Herod was operating under, he was a human being, a political figure under the influence of the agenda of Satan operating in the earth. Let's read on, read on. So now, verse 5. She bore a male child. What's the male child? Jesus, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Mm. We'll come back to that. And her child, Jesus, was caught up to God and his throne. What does that mean? Remember after Jesus was crucified, buried in the tomb, three days, resurrected, spent 40 days on the earth, hanging out with his disciples, eating fish, talking to them, passing through walls, and then he ascended. (laughs) Well, he did. Read your Bible. Anyway, (laughs) he he ascended up into heaven, right? So that's what he's talking about. That's the picture they're giving us. Her child was caught up to God in his throne. Where's Jesus right now? Seated at the right hand of the Father on his throne. But let's go back to the first part. This male child, Jesus, was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Chad, I don't, I don't get that part. I, don't, I didn't really see that part in the Bible. Here's something that uh, God wants us to get. He wants us to grasp the distinction between Jesus' assignment when he came to the earth the first time as the Lamb of God and Jesus' assignment when he comes the next time as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Some people are still trying to look at Jesus in the end times through the eyes of the Lamb. And they're going to miss the prophetic picture of the lion of the tribe of Judah. Here's what I want to tell you. Go to, go to Psalm chapter 2. Hold your finger there in Revelation. We'll come back to it. Psalm chapter 2. I'm going to read to you something. So it says here that he was going to uh, rule them with a the rod of iron. Mm-hmm. Rod of iron. Yep. Hold on to that thought. He's going to rule them with a the rod of iron. What does that mean? Psalm chapter 2. I'm glad you asked. So let's let the Bible interpret the Bible. Now, Psalm chapter 2 is a lot of times quoted as a missionary verse passage of scripture, but I want you to see that this passage was written hundreds and hundreds of years prior to Jesus. This is a prophetic scripture of when Jesus returns to the earth. This is talking about the Messiah, and this is written by a human being inspired by the Holy Spirit who gets a conversation, a look into a conversation between the Father and the Son and writes Psalm chapter 2, writes a song about a conversation between the Father and the Son. It's beautiful. Here it goes. Let's start the song. Let's sing. Ready? Go. Why? No. Why do the nations nations rage? (laughs) Some of you are like, I'm not singing. And the people plot a vain thing. Notice what it says. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? Verse 2. The kings of the earth, kings 
of the earth, rulers of the earth, set themselves. Oh. And the rulers take counsel together. So the kings and the rulers of the earth are getting together. What are they talking about? They're getting together against who? Against the Lord and against his anointed. The kings of the earth, the rulers of the earth, are going to get together and they're going to be against the Lord and his anointed. It's not going to be they're going to be against a political party. If we're going to be accurate in end times, we, got, we have got to get out of this political party distinction. It's going to cause you at some point to get deceit because we're getting too loyal to a label of a party and not loyal to a truth that supersedes the labels of parties. I'm trying to help us with something. So see, they're going to come against the Lord and his anointed. What's the spiritual root, the spiritual source? They're coming against Jesus. And look what they say in verse 3. Let us, the kings and the rulers of the earth, they're going to say, let us break their bonds, capital T, in pieces, and cast away their cords from us. What does that mean? It means that the kings of the earth, the rulers of the world, are going to say, let's break off the bonds of God. There, capital T. They're saying, we don't want to be restricted by these principles of God and the kingdom. We want to be free to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. So the kings of the earth are going to separate themselves from the things of God, from the laws of God, the principles of God. They're going to break free from those and say, we are now in charge. I know you can't imagine that happening, but that's what the Bible says is going to happen. But look what happens when the kings of the earth say that. Verse 4. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Who sits in the heavens? A little guy called the king of kings. So the kings of the earth say, hey, we're going to break free and do what we want. And the king of all kings in heaven goes, (laughs) that's a good one. The Lord shall hold them in derision. What does that mean? He's going to mock them. He's going to mock them. (laughs) You're going to do what you want. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Then he, again, shall speak to them. Who's them? The kings of the earth, the rulers of this earth. In his wrath. Oh, this is the part of Jesus and the messianic Jesus when he comes back that people don't want to talk about. They just want to talk about nice Jesus. It's real nice to everybody. But he's coming back, and there's going to be some things that are going to happen. He's going to speak to them, the rulers that come against him and his anointed. He's going to speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. What does distress mean? That word distress means to horrify or frighten, to terrify. In other words, when Jesus comes back, he's going to horrify them with his presence. Jesus is going to have one of two reactions when he shows up. It's either going to be, yes, or no. I promise you, two reactions, not a third, not, oh, that's cool. No, no, there won't be that. It'll either be, yes, or fear and terror because the Holy One showed up on the scene and everything you thought was just make-believe is real. People that thumb their nose at God right now and think they're all that and think they're powerful, Deep distress is coming. Verse 6, yet I have set my king. This is God talking. 
He says, yet I have set my king. You know, kings of the earth, I've set my king on my holy hill of Zion. What's that? That's when Jesus returns. He's going to step his foot on the Mount of Olives on the east gate of Jerusalem. He's going to descend. He's going to put his foot there, and it's going to split apart. He said, I'm going to put my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. He's talking to Jesus. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me, son, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. When Jesus comes back, that second time when he comes back to the earth, the father's going to say, ask of me, son, and I'll give you all the nations. The kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdoms of our God. You shall break them in pieces. Oh, sorry, I skipped a part. No, I didn't. Ends of the earth for the possession. Verse 9. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. There's that phrase, rod of iron. He will rule with a rod of iron. Now, I used to think that when Jesus comes back, he's going to be holding some big rod, and he's going to come around just going... I just thought, yes, Thor, come, bam. I just thought, rod of iron. But then, but then I studied, and my Thor theory went out the window. So here's what rod of iron means. This is so powerful. With a rod is one Hebrew word, and this word usually refers to the 12 tribes from the sons of Israel. Specifically, in application, it speaks of a people, a group of persons of the same culture. <laughs> Iron means hardness or firmness. So he's saying to the kings of the earth that come against the Lord and his anointed, he's saying, Jesus, you will break them. You will make them as nothing is another interpretation of that. You will bring them to nothing with a rod of iron. In other words, with a people that are firm and hardened for my kingdom and through my people that I will raise up, I will bring the kingdoms of darkness to nothing. It's not a physical rod. It's you. It's me. It's whosoever says, I want to be a part of the kingdom of God. Look to your neighbor and say, you're a rod of iron. Yeah, man, what a compliment. So now look, verse 10. Now, therefore, he's still talking to the people now. He's talking to human beings. Catch this. He's talking to human beings in the end times. He says, now, therefore, be wise, O kings of the earth. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. That word instructed there means to correct or punish in order to improve behavior. Anybody ever love your child enough to correct them? We're into a culture stage that's saying that if you don't agree with me, you don't love me. If you speak against what I believe, you're hateful. Jesus is speaking to the kings of the earth and said, receive correction that will change your behavior. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. <laughs> In other words, get on the side of Team Jesus. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but, the, but a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. Prophetic picture of what it's going to be like when Jesus returns. 
spiritual source, physical manifestation, he's going to come and bring order to the nations of this world that come against the Lord and against his anointed. Now let's go back to Revelation chapter 13. Let me finish here. Still got your finger there? I didn't. Revelation 13. I'm just going to, oh, sorry, 12. I said 13, 12. All right, ready? Uh, verse 6. So this was after the woman was caught up, in a, or the, sorry, the child was caught up to God in his throne. Verse 6. Then the woman, Israel, fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God. Who's the woman? The Jews, the nation of Israel. Has a place prepared by God that they should be fed. Fed means nourished and taken care of. What are we saying? God is saying, I'm going to take care of my people. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to care for them. Let me just say something to whatever nation. I can say it to the United States of America, obviously, because that's where we are. But to anyone, any nation, it is in your best interest. It's in our best interest to be in alignment with and providing for the protection of Israel. If you think that's a political statement, study your Bible. That is not a preference of party platform. That is a preference of biblical platform. That when we choose to side with protecting Israel, that is what God said. God's saying, I'm going to protect Israel. I'm going to do my part. If you want to get in on it and support it, then come on board. We'll work together. But if you choose to go against me, that's not going to be the best decision. Notice what he says. He will feed them there for 1,260 days. 1,260 divided by 365 is... 3.5 or three and a half years. We've got that on the board. We'll talk about that next time. He's going to protect them. Maybe, maybe next week, yeah. And look at, look at verse 7. And war broke out in heaven. War. So there's war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, Satan, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not what? They did not, they did not prevail nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. Let me ask you something. Did the dragon and his angels fight? Let me ask you again. Did the the dragon and the angels, did they fight? One more time. I'm not sure everybody was convinced of that. Did the dragon and his angels fight? Did they prevail? Will the dragon and his angels and his cohorts and his cooperatives fight today? Will they prevail? Then be encouraged. Just because we see opposition, we see the work of the enemy in the world, don't get discouraged and be afraid. They are supposed to fight. They're supposed to oppose the things of God, but they will not prevail. Look what it says. Nor was the place found. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. All right. I'm not going to get to the next part. We'll do that some other time. I want you to see what God is showing us today. Spiritual source with a physical manifestation. Why am I trying to prepare you for this? Because I think a lot of people are afraid to talk about these things that are in the Bible because they're, and I'm not sure where it's going to happen. You're like, Chad, is this, is this happening right now? Are we, are we in a tough time? I'm not saying we're in the tribulation, but I'm just saying tell believers in Afghanistan, 
and Mozambique that they're not in tribulation times. Tell them that it's okay now, but it's really going to get bad. When they're bringing their children in front of them and chopping their heads off, tell them that it's not bad yet, but it's really going to get bad. I'm telling you, we're in a time where the clock has been accelerated and someone is going to arise on the scene. Eighth kingdom. An antichrist. It's going to be a human being. The source is going to be satanic, but it's going to play out through a physical human being. So if we're going to be children of God, sons and daughters of God, to call out Bible and Scripture to give people truth, to tell them, hey, don't believe this. You need to put your hearts here, put your loyalty here. We've got to be able to call out wickedness in order to do it. So church of God, we can't be timid. We can't be, we can't be uh, um, fearful. We've got to be bold. But we'll see next week. Our boldness is going to come with a price. My job is to prepare you for the price. Some people are experiencing it right now already. I don't know how many people have called me and talked to me about losing their jobs. We're in significant situations going on in our life. Went to a funeral again yesterday. People dealing with loss of life. We're in serious times. Serious times. So we need a serious faith with a serious king of all kings who says, the kings of this earth have a plan, but I have another plan. <laughs> and my plan mocks their plan. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.